The NBA Finals are set, and we've got the preview you need to listen to between the Warriors and Cavaliers. And while they're playing basketball, what happens to the Rockets and the Celtics moving on to next season? It is the Wednesday edition of the Locked On NBA podcast. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On NBA podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked On Pels podcast, editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, and all-around Pelicans insider. I am John Corrales, at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter. You can find my stuff on RedsArmy.com and Boston.com. And of course, I'm the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. John, I hope you've recovered a little bit from all both Game 7s that we've had here for, again, Round 4 now, what we kind of all have maybe expected between the Warriors and Cavaliers. So we're just nope. Gonna, not, not yet? Nope. <laughs> not recovered? Nope. But that's okay. I'll fake it. There we go. You're a pro. I love it. So we're just going to look at each side and kind of talk about each team as we give you guys a preview of what's going on here, starting with the Warriors. And, John, I think you and I agree on this. They're the heavy favorite going into the NBA finals here. Yeah, I guess my analysis at the, my umbrella analysis is don't screw around. Don't be the warriors that say, eh, whatever. And just lollygag and throw like 30 turnovers and they'll be okay. Yeah. I I mean, it, it kind of comes down to that. They did get pushed by the Rockets, maybe unexpectedly, and without diving too much into that Game 7, you would easily make the case that a few things go differently for Houston, you know, like not missing 27 straight three-point attempts that were all almost entirely wide open, or Chris Paul plays, that maybe they lose that game and that series, and we're not kind of looking at another rematch yet again here. But overall, when they want to come to play, and they did come to play in that second half of Game 7, they're still impossible to beat, it feels like. Yeah, the two series really are starkly different in that the Warriors were pushed to seven games and damn near lost because the Rockets are a really good team and the matchup was really, really good. And if it wasn't for some bad breaks, which uh, you know other guys have, have talked about, this could have gone differently. Whereas... The Cavaliers were pushed to seven games and damn near lost because they're not very good. And the Celtics were on some sort of magical run, but they turned into a pumpkin in game seven when I when some of those young guys were kind of overcome by the moment. And finally, they got something out of a couple of their veterans. It wasn't that it was a great matchup. So I just don't see it. I, I that when they talk about the Warriors and the Rockets were the pseudo NBA finals, there's a reason for that because those were the two best teams and that could have gone either way from the Warriors perspective. It, like I, it really does boil down to taking care of the ball in all seriousness. They do have a problem when I, I think when you spend 82 games kind of going through the motions 
it is hard to flip a switch, even though they seem to have for the most part. It is still hard to go out there and play with respect for your opponent when you've had nothing but disdain for your opponents throughout the entire season. And I think they'll have a lot of disdain for their – they had disdain for the Rockets. And I've oh, said the word disdain so. a lot, but it's true. I don't think they respected the Rockets. Do, no, do you? It, no, I, I don't think so. I think you could see it, especially towards the end there. And it took, you know, the Rockets really getting in their face to maybe get a little bit of that respect and to wake this Warriors team up. And Steve Kerr kind of said it pretty well when he said he went into the locker room at halftime of that game and said, I don't even know who this team is right now because who are you guys? We have, it doesn't look like we've played together for four years. And that's kind of a big thing. Focus is a skill, and it does take a lot of practice to be very good at that. And I think that's maybe one of the bigger weaknesses of this Warriors team, except there's so much damn talent on there that they can kind of overcome it. And we've seen that the way to beat them, and we'll talk about this probably more when we look at the Cavs side of everything, is force them to play that isolation style of ball. Get the ball in Durant's hands and make him try and beat you one-on-one. And then I was watching that game seven, he's just shooting over everyone from 18 feet and his mid-range jumper like that is so damn good that even he can still beat you that way. And you've got to hope maybe he has a bit of an off night and he had a bad start to that game seven. And maybe you're just hoping and praying that he's going to be off and then you kind of have a bit of an opening if he's intent on going out there and trying to get his. Yeah, let's. I think that it's just going to be very difficult for the Warriors to be stopped. Uh, we'll talk more about the Cleveland, what they need to do in the next segment. But just defensively, the I watched the, the Cavaliers had struggle to defend the Celtics. And the difference now, obviously, is instead of losing Terry Rozier in the corner, that's going to be Klay Thompson. That is um, a little bit different. It than, sounds like a problem. Yeah. And the, the Warriors and the Celtics actually can play similar styles because Al Horford does play a very Draymond Green kind of role. Uh, not obviously not saying that their exact players are similar even, but the same type of role, uh, the way, the way the, the warriors are going to play at a different speed than the Celtics is going to be a serious, serious problem for the Cleveland defense. And that's just the starters. If Iguodala comes back, I was about to ask you about that. That's kind of somewhat big, I think, here, and it's uncertain if he's going to play in game one, so hopefully we'll know a little bit more, obviously, on Thursday. But as of now, when you guys are all listening to this, he's still kind of questionable for game one. Even if they bring him off the bench, uh, however they decide to use him, with him and Livingston and even the return of McCaw, that can be a, a, a factor here. That... Cavaliers bench the reason why the Cavaliers were able to kind of come back against the Celtics is they severely shortened their rotation and stopped giving minutes to Rodney Hood and they they cut down the minutes for Larry Nance and cut down the minutes for Jordan Clarkson but they can't do that they can't run six guys out there and play LeBron James 48 minutes against this Warriors team that that's just not going to work so even if the starters aren't playing their best for Golden State, I think that bench just becomes too overwhelming. The They're going to force the Cavaliers to go very deep, deeper than they have when they were successful against Boston. When the Cavs 
had to play Clarkson and Nance uh, and Rodney Hood any minutes at all, there were a problem. Rodney Hood especially was he might as well might as well have been wearing a Celtics jersey for for that series. So he, he was bad. Like, there's yeah. no denying that. Yeah, you know the, the depth is going to be interesting because I think both teams are a little bit thin, but I just trust the Golden State Warriors a little bit more. Again, Sean Livingston coming off the bench, Iguodala coming off the bench, that certainly helps things. I don't know how much I trust a guy like Quinn Cook and some of these other guys yet. But, you know, if all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a box score or watching the game and you see Nick Young has five threes in a quarter, I don't think any of us are necessarily going to be surprised by that. And that might be the difference right there. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it's a very simple that Nick Young, Nick Young could come in. Jeez. I mean that more in like an not ironic's not I just, the right word, but no, I it like, just struck me that Nick Young could come in and just be like a huge factor off the bat. Yeah, like Nick Young could average like twenty. It could be a thing, which that, is weird. It really could it be. Shouldn't be, but it is. This it's twenty eighteen. What a weird year that we I had really a, live in. I had a serious delayed reaction when you said that, but it's true because there's literally no one on the Cavs bench that can guard Nick Young. Nick Young can go out there and just get wide open threes. And if he gets hot, Nick Young dropping 15, it's no problem. No no problem. Not a problem. They also have, I think one of the big things here is how do you slow down LeBron James? And they have the length to do so. That's also another thing. If you get him the ball, uh, you know, on the the low block, something like that, and he gets swallowed up by two, six, eight, or taller defenders, it's tough to pass out of that, even for a guy like LeBron James, because he's not used to seeing kind of things like this. This is a Warriors team that's known for shooting threes, but it's shockingly physical because they have this height and length that bothers a ton of teams. I would say my, def- my defensive strategy, if I'm the Warriors, I-, I don't even care. I do not care what LeBron James does in this series because he's going to have to average like 80 points a game. And I'm not even joking. That's not even hyperbole. All they have to do is stay home on the other guys. Stay home and keep those other guys in check. Like Jeff Green had 19 in game seven in Boston. Keep him in check. Keep Kyle Korver in check. Don't let George Hill hit shots. Those guys are the guys that the the Cavaliers are going to need to step up. Stay home on those guys. Don't let LeBron James become a passer and get 15 assists. Just defend him straight up as best you can. Don't help off of your guy seriously don't help off of those shooters let him do whatever he's going to do let him get tired and punch himself out and settle for jumpers in the fourth quarter if he drops 50 fine there's no chance they're not going to score another 50 from the bed it's it's what no chance brad stevens said basically they were going to go out and let lebron get his 30 to 40 points and try and hold everyone else under 50 40 points because then they figured they were going to win and I think that's the obvious way that you go about trying to beat this Cavaliers team and again they have they're a very the the Warriors have the best defense in the playoffs in terms of defensive rating no surprise there partially so it's gonna be just an uphill battle so Let's switch gears in a moment here, and I'm just going to say before we start talking about the Cavs, give a listen to Locked on Warriors. We've got hyper-local podcasts covering each of these teams in the finals and all of teams in the NBA at a local level, giving you insight that you're not going to get from any other outlet. So make sure you listen and subscribe during this finals run to Locked on Warriors. So the Cavaliers have an uphill battle, as we've been saying as we were talking about the end of the last segment here, John. Is this one as simple as... 
LeBron's going to need some help, and these other guys have to step up. And if they do, maybe they have an outside chance of winning. And if they don't, they're just cooked. Yeah, this is going to have to be uh, – <laughs> I don't even know. I'm trying to find the right words for what kind of effort it's going to be. But for the Cavaliers to have a shot in this series, not even necessarily win, but to have a shot, they need J.R. Smith, George Hill, uh, Jeff Green – to be not just decent. They need those guys to have the finals of their lives. And th- that's going to be tough because they just, aside from game seven, most of those guys didn't play well on the road. And to be going to ter- Oracle. It's, it's not even played, it didn't play well. They were just straight up bad on the road. Horrible. So the key for the Cavaliers to hang with the the Warriors is to take advantage of when they do get sloppy, they got to run and get out in transition. And that's going to be on Tristan Thompson. That's going to be on uh, Larry Nance. They're going to have to play. They're going to have to get production from everybody. They might, we keep talking about guys like Jetty Osmond and I mentioned Rodney Hood. They're going to have to get depth. They're going to have to dive into their, their bench and they're going to have to run, 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 which means LeBron's probably going to have to sit for more than he did against Boston, but they're going to have to take advantage of whatever turnovers the Warriors have. Every turnover the Warriors have, every live ball turnover, has to turn into points for them to have a shot. We know the Warriors can get careless with the ball. They have to, have to, have to run. They have to turn them into points, and it'd be ideal for them if they can get it in the form of Kyle Korver or George Hill or uh, someone else trailing threes. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a big thing. It's these other guys. I think we all know it just comes down to them. And as of now, you know, Kevin Love is still in concussion protocol. We don't know if he's going to be playing in game one or not. And I don't even know if he would have been a huge factor in this one, to be honest, because... Again, it's the war. It's like you just look at this, and the jump had a really good question. And I'm digressing here as we kind of go on tangents. And I'll I'll pose it to you here. What's more likely, a sweep or a six game series? Well, I think it's going to be five. So, (laughs) but I'll say I'll say a sweep is more likely. The reason I think it's going to be five is because I think the the uh, Warriors are going to be so just disdainful of the Cavaliers that they're going to have like a, a 30 turnover game and LeBron will have a 50 point game at the he same like time. And they'll steal effort one. of everything. Yeah. And it's just it, like, this is why I'm kind of excited for the series. It's still fun watching LeBron at like still the pinnacle of being an NBA player, just doing what he's doing despite having the worst supporting cast he's probably had around him over these eight, I don't even think it's a uh, question that he's had. This is the worst supporting cast he's had over these eight straight trips to the finals. And watching this dude play at such a high level is actually quite enjoyable to me. But, but let me, in, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just want to interrupt that. I will say this about LeBron. If they're going to win, he is going to have to play defense. And he had a lot. He played extremely well against the Celtics. But for very often in those games, he took because he played so much, he had to take possessions off defensively. If he keeps getting lost that way, then they're going to get torched. Well, so this is my, one of the things I was going to say where you mentioned he's taking plays off because he's trying to find rest here and there. And he has played so much this season, these playoffs 
that he played 46 minutes, I think it was, in game six against the Celtics and 48 minutes in game seven. That's not sustainable, but at the same point, you kind of still almost feel like you have to play him that long because they're going to kill you when he's off the court. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you take the Cavaliers, especially in Cleveland, managed to actually win minutes when he was off the floor as a Celtics guy. It was a very frustrating thing to watch when the non-LeBron minutes weren't total wins for the Celtics. I don't think that's going to happen for the Warriors. And I, I just, you can't play him 48 minutes a game against, against the Warriors because the, the time that he's on the floor where he's taking plays off, that's going to, that's going to be as bad as it can be a three pointer against you. And all of a sudden it's a I, huge. Yeah. So you might as well just sit him down and have a guy out there that's going to be productive or so at least move and, and force the, the uh, warriors to play defense. It, all of this analysis is very yeah. slant, obviously. Uh, well, what but, we're trying to do is just find ways to poke holes in the Warriors, and we're not doing a very good job it, of it. Which it's going to be very them. difficult. Yeah. Well, they, they need to try and force the Warriors into that one-on-one style that we saw Houston do. Houston has some very good defenders and guys who can play. The Cavaliers, I think, were the second to last defense during the regular season. They haven't been significantly better during the... Yep, they were 29th out of 30th. They haven't been significantly better during the NBA playoffs. They've been better, but not significantly. And now you're going up against this powerhouse Warriors team. And I don't think you have the one-on-one guys to clamp down on people running to the corner, like you said with Clay Thompson, and some of these other guys to be able to force the Warriors into that style of basketball where they're not passing and doing all this other stuff. Yeah, there's no Eric Gordon... I know Eric Gordon didn't shoot the, the ball particularly well in the second half, but in the first half and in game six, he was really, really good. And there's just no guy at that level outside of LeBron, you know. So LeBron is LeBron, but there's no other guy that's that good. Uh, if Kevin Love can come back from the concussion protocol, that helps. But at the same time, it hurts them defensively because they're just going to who, – who does he guard? Who does that, he guard? That's the big question right there. There's there's no one you really want to put him on. Yeah, so they're going to hunt him out on pick and rolls. They're going to put him in pick and roll and just, just destroy it because he can't guard. He's going to have to guard like Draymond Green. Or if they start Looney, then maybe they start Looney. and I mean, they, they start him on Looney. But I don't I, – I just don't know. I don't know how he can defend these guys. That's That's the biggest problem. That even if LeBron can be the facilitator, even if he can, with his gravity, draw those defenders and kick and get those guys, his supporting cast, to hit shots, I don't know how they defend the Warriors. The, The Rockets defended the Warriors well for much of the series. I don't know how the Cavaliers, because the Cavaliers couldn't defend the Celtics, and the Celtics... This, that iteration of the Celtics was not very good offensively. These Warriors are... They're amazing. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Like, it, 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 it just really is. So 
we don't feel very good about the Cavaliers' chances, but we know the Cavs as a team do, and they're going to go in very confident, thinking maybe they have the best player in the series in LeBron James. By the way, he's averaging 34 points per game in the playoffs, which is bananas, and their second-highest scorer is Kevin Love at 13.9. You just can't feel confident when you're looking at that kind of disparity between your top two scores in this one. So... We'll see what happens, but I can tell you that Locked On Warriors is going to have, or Locked On uh, Cavaliers is going to have it covered for you. Again, if you want to know how maybe the Cavs can win, that's the podcast you need to listen to because they're going to break it down from every angle. So make sure you listen and subscribe during these finals to Locked On Cavaliers. So we've talked about the two teams in the finals, but we got two game sevens in the conference finals, and that was a lot of fun. And, John, one of these is near and dear to you. And I know, as you said, you're faking it through this because you're probably crying <laughs> and just muting, muting the microphone as, as we're recording here. But I look at these, the situations for the Rockets and the Celtics in kind of a similar boat. They got really far. They played really well and got as close as they could. I know people maybe want to look at this and call them failures and say you need to make wholesale changes and do different things. But to me, and we'll get your opinion on the Celtics here, I think both teams really need to stay the course of what they've been building. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot easier for the Celtics if we're going to focus on them first because the people that they're adding to this roster are already under contract. So you look at this, this team that made this playoffs run did not have Kyrie Irving. It did not have Gordon Hayward. So next year, to begin the 2018-19 season, Hayward and Irving will be ready to go for the beginning of training camp. So you essentially go into the summer, quote-unquote, signing those guys, and they're your big acquisitions, and you add them to a core that already has Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford as your starters. And now Terry Rozier has shown himself to be a very high-level player, a potential kind of borderline starting quality guard. You have Marcus Smart, who you have to make a decision on a restricted free agency. That, is that their biggest question this offseason? Yeah, and it's an opportunity for me to plug my latest piece on Boston.com because I wrote about four potential outcomes for his restricted free agency. The thing about Marcus Smart, I, I, don't, I just don't think it works out very well for him because he's got the glaring flaw of not being able to shoot at least definitely not consistently, to put it nicely, uh, to go into restricted free agency where there's not a lot of teams with cap space, where there are guards to be had, and the added caveat of do the Raptors or Wizards or Blazers make any particular deals for any of their guards? So lots of uncertainty going on there in the guard market. I don't know what what's going to happen. There has been some speculation that he might sign his qualifying offer. I don't think that makes a lot of sense to play for him to play for $6 million when I'm pretty sure the Celtics are willing to give him about 10 to $12 million. I think it makes the most sense to sign a two-year deal somewhere in the 20 to $24 million range, so $25 million. So he gets about $12, $12.5 million a year, something like that, for two more years. This way, he can become an unrestricted free agent two years from now when all of those stupid 2016 contracts come off the books. That makes a lot of sense. It, yeah. That's like the right salary range for him, I think, though. I think that's like about right, to be honest. Yeah, and he stays with the Celtics. He loves being with the Celtics. He fits with the Celtics. His quote-unquote winning plays make sense with the Celtics. And in two years, the Al Horford's contract will be up. Kyrie Irving, I don't know what's going to happen with his deal, but 
his right now it's up unless they give him an extension. It just makes sense from a team building perspective that in two years they can kind of kick the can down the road. They can kind of keep this core together and then he can be a, a, an unrestricted free agent at like 27 years old when a lot of bad contracts come off of a lot of teams cap sheets. I think it just makes sense. Two years, somewhere around 20 to 25 million works for everybody involved. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And look, I think this, I see the talk on Twitter and different places, and it's just kind of silly that they would think they're better off without Kyrie or better off without Gordon Hayward. So, you know, I think it's just, (laughs) yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, It's just keep doing what you're doing. Add those guys back into the mix. You've got a really good head coach who seems to fit players into a system really well and get the most out of them and get them to buy in. That's the ideal situation to bring those guys right on back into. Yeah, look, I'll just end with this. The Celtics starting lineup on opening night should be Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, and Al Horford. That's that's a perfect lineup, especially in the East. Switchable across the board. You're you've got guys. You've got four guys who can create their own shot, and then Al Horford, who in the midst of all of that, can just clean up and just take advantage of any defensive overreaction. Meanwhile, you'll probably, depending on what they do trade-wise, you could have Rozier and Smart coming off the bench. Uh, Marcus Morris in a a role that's much more fitting, that doesn't rely on him to do too much. That's a nice bench. They bring back Daniel Tice, who was an underrated loss for them. Like he, he really could have helped. And who knows what Shemi Ojale, you know, moves, becomes uh, after his rookie year. You know, big, strong guy like that. Gershon Yabusele could, you know, he's got skills that maybe he can be as an eighth, ninth guy. They've got, They've got depth, and we'll see how it all improves. But it's all internal, and they, they might tinker around the edges. We'll see if they bring back Aaron Baines. Um, we'll see if they decide to make a trade with Rozier or Marcus Morris. Uh, but their starting lineup is going to be really, really good, and they've already got a, a bench that's going to be pretty solid. So they're they're in a good spot. Yeah, I, I think that you, you, I mean, you're the Boston guy, so you sum that up really well here, and I think that's exactly what it is. Houston, maybe there's more room for debate on, but I look at Houston, who just threw their best shot at Golden State, and you've had um, Daryl Morey come out and say, you know, he obsesses over Golden State. They built this team to try and build Golden State. They gave him their best shot. They took him to the brink, and they weren't able to beat him. So maybe you kind of overreact a little bit and overcorrect and maybe blow this up a little bit or try and tinker around or make some big wholesale changes. But I see a team that won 65 games that really took the Warriors to the brink of elimination without Chris Paul missing a, and just a, an unbelievable 27 straight three-point attempts, again, that were all wide open for the most part. You've got to stay the course if you're them, right? Know when you're going to get a big tax bill coming up in the future. Well, that's the big question. You know, they've like they've got Harden next season. Harden's going to make 30 million and Ryan Anderson's going to make 20. Gordon's going to make 13. They still have Chris Paul, Trevor Ariza. Uh, they have uh, Clint Capella is, is uh, restricted. Like they've got a lot of financial decisions to make. And that, that is definitely going to be a big tax bill. So let me ask you this, since you're the Western conference guy, Chris Paul, just turned 33. What kind of contract do you give him moving forward? 
So that's the big question. And you, you might need to help me out because I don't have it up in front of me. He just negotiated into that CBA, the like the over 36 contract. Is that right? Where they're eligible for a whole lot more money than they were before. So I think knowing his age and his history of injuries, and some of them are still scary that, it, you know, you wonder if they're ever going to come back to bite him. And I think he's maybe safe at this point, though. I get what you're saying, and yeah, maybe you don't want to give him a huge deal, but I think if you can get him for three years, that's a big thing, and you set him up for, if he plays well during that, to get that big year 36 contract that he's kind of looking at for everything. Maybe it's 36 to 38, I forget, but yep. he's, he's lining himself up for it, so I think you kind of go in with that kind of in your back pocket and be like, this is fair to both sides, this sets you up again in the future, and if we do well, and we do make this finals run, and he's not going to go to any team that's going to get him any closer and we know his playoff history and how far he hasn't made it and he finally gets so close if you're him don't you want to take that three-year whatever it is deal that fits you in here even if it means taking a little bit less money than you'd be worth on the open market keep in mind there aren't a ton of teams with cap space that would necessarily even want Chris Paul in the first place on their rosters with the type of team building that they're doing so I think that's kind of an interesting thing as well so three-year deal you know I don't know the, the salary range necessarily without looking at their uh, detailed cap sheet form off the top of my head here. But I think that makes the most sense. I think you match whatever's going to be thrown at Capella. I think you work on bringing Ariza back, knowing that you're going to pay the tax. You did just have a brand new owner who paid $2 billion for the team, something like that. So there's money to be you know out there for this team. And I think you kind of make a run at the Warriors these next couple of years because it did show there's maybe a bit of a blueprint to beat them and Houston's come the closest to fulfilling all of that yeah well let me first of all clarify just the the rule that you mentioned the the new the new cba changed the over 36 rule to over 38 the over the over 36 rule for people who don't know prevented teams from signing guys to those longer deals if if the player would turn 36 or older during the course of the contract because really what they're saying is that player is really not going to see that part of the contract so it it basically was a way to protect teams from from themselves from giving longer deals and say we'll pay you we're willing to pay you that money there and have like somebody sit at the end of the bench and not retire and collect 30 million dollars so they changed it to over 38 so uh chris paul can make uh i think he can get now that means a four-year deal because he'll turn 37 he won't turn 38 if it's a four-year deal, right? Yeah, so okay. he's 33. It's a four-year deal. gets him to 37. So we can get a four-year contract uh, at the maximum money. And the cap hold on Chris Paul right now is $35 million. I don't know if he gets that much money. No. Uh, I think I think that – I think the four-year deal is probably the way they'll go because Chris Paul is going to – hold them hostage they have to sign chris paul they don't have have to they can't just abandon what they've built here at all no you can't he's he's been the the stabilizing force him going down was such a huge problem because that took away the the he had the the moments that put away the warriors he's the guy that stepped up it instead of I don't want to. I don't want to trash James Harden because he had a good series. But when it, 
push came to shove in the fourth quarter, it was Chris Paul that was finishing games. He was the guy with that killer instinct. He's the guy that took over. They need him. Even though he's not going to have maybe – you know he's not going to play 82 games. You know he's going to maybe miss some time due to injury. But you need a guy like him on the floor to step up in those moments, uh, especially against a Western Conference that has so many good teams. You're just going to need him to roll through the Western Conference. Yeah, so it, it, they just want to get into the playoffs, but you don't want to be, say, a bottom four seed. You do want to finish in that top half in one or two, so at least you have home court through most of it, and he's the guy that's going to help you achieve that goal. And then he's the guy you want against the Warriors, and I think they're smelling blood in the water after this series. Yeah, they lost. It was disappointing, but they had a really, really good year. And to, I don't think Daryl Moore is the type of guy that would – overreact to one game where they're a statistical oddity kind of crept up and maybe kept them away from the NBA finals. Now I, I agree. The biggest, the biggest obstacle for the Houston Rockets right now is money. And how, how long will the Rockets pay the luxury tax? If they're, if the owners are willing to pay the luxury tax moving forward, then great. Uh, a wild card here is if somehow, somehow they could move Ryan Anderson. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what situation other than some rebuilding team that's looking to get above the floor. And I don't even know what team that or, would be. Or, or a bad first round pick or some asset, but that it's not going to be an easy thing to do. And you no. got to trade salary for salary, which can be a problem as well. So you're still taking back money, which is not necessarily going to be a great thing. So I think we agree though, both teams, you know, need to kind of stay their course and they've had really good years and they're just primed to maybe be a little bit better or a little bit healthier next year. So that's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Enjoy the finals coming up round four between the Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. As always on Wednesday, I'm Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter. I am the co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. And we'll be back with you all next Wednesday.